Hello, Stephen. Uh, Merry Christmas, officially now. Officially Merry Christmas, Erica. Yep. We have watched yep. uh, episodes four and five of The Mind of Evil. The Mind of Evil. Not the evil of the mind, which is the actual line that is in the story. I'm not saying anything. Okay. I mean, maybe they say it later. But... They do it episode six. Oh, okay. <laughs> Hashtag spoilers. Spoilers. Sorry. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but I, it's also said this way. Mm-hmm. Evil of the mind. I guess so, yeah. yeah it's I... a creature that feeds on the evil of the mind. Mm-hmm. I think. Something like that that's true mm-hmm. um yes uh boy oh boy a lot of stuff happens in this with um a uh ambush of the thunderbolt uh convoy and then an ambush of the prison mm-hmm. and there's a whole bunch of drama happening uh on opposite sides of all that yeah what do you think of these two episodes yeah there's action but there's also really exciting things <laughs> <laughs> yeah actually i remember the first time that i saw this thinking that the uh, the fight scene of them taking over the prison was just interminable and boring. <laughs> and this time I didn't find it th- that way. That, that it, it seemed fine. I guess maybe I'm, I'm more used to the action by Havoc or f- fight choreography, whatever it is. Fights arranged by Havoc. Yeah, we didn't yeah. get an actual action by Havoc in the episode four mm-hmm. credits, but yeah. Yep. Uh, but no, the parts that I like are there's there is so much subtlety in this story in terms of the performances, the line deliveries, the like physical um, interactions between the characters from like, well, I mean, I had previously talked to you and I had both previously talked about the doctor and the master. Um, and sort of the nonverbal stuff, the doctor like gesturing towards the seat, like, can I sit? And the mm-hmm. master being like, yes. And in here we have, uh, you know, the doctor's being shepherded back to his cell and the guy at the bottom of the stairs is just pointing in with a gun. Yeah. Very, and then the doctor's walking in and Mailer's about to conk him on the back of the head and he just turns around and shakes his head. Uh, uh, <laughs> there's that. Oh, there's, there are so many little things. The brigadier and... Um, what is it? Cosworth. Major, Major Cosworth? Yeah. Yep. And... Yeah. <laughs> Nicholas Courtney's face. <laughs> oh my God. But you know, he's just, oh, Cosworth is just, <laughs> bless his socks, just piping up when just he thinks he's doing a great job. <laughs> and the Brig is, he's a good boss, so he's yeah. not going to like dress him down in front of the other men or at all, really. It's just, it's, it is so delightful. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Plus, we'll have the element of surprise on our side. <laughs> <laughs> Like it seems like a good plan. I'm yeah. so glad you think so. Basically, so I'm very relieved to hear that. <laughs> yes. <Yeah. laughs> yep. Oh, and there were there were other uh, other things like that. I can't even I can't think of 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 the other instances. But there are just it seems like every episode has multiple instances of characters doing little sort of either verbal somewhat or nonverbal things back and forth between each other. Who directed this? Was this? This is Timothy Coombe. Tim Coombe. Oh, right. right. Of course. Yeah. yeah. Um, I, I don't know if it's him or if it's stuff that these actors have worked out, but it is, it is really, really delightful to see all of the, all the moving parts come together um, in, in little ways mm-hmm. like that. It's nice. Yeah. Uh, speaking of Tim Coombe and speaking of the uh, not as interminable as you thought it was going to be assault on Stangmore Prison, uh, it is because of that assault on Stangmore Prison why Tim Coombe was sort of uh, not allowed to work on Doctor Who because they went over budget. Basically, they did all the location shooting of the um, the assault, but they realized that they didn't get any close-ups, really. It was all just sort of long shots and stuff, so they had to go back there 
you know, at ex- great mm-hmm. BBC expense to shoot a bunch of close-ups with basically him and other parts of the crew essentially playing the prisoners. Hence, you see Timothy Coombe actually get shot, I think, at least in one, maybe two of the, because uh, I think he's wearing, wearing glasses in the second one. Uh, having to do close-ups. Um, so, yeah, Tim Coombe has a uh, Hitchcockian cameo as uh, one of the prisoners getting shot down. Eep. Well, I mean, his uh, his direction of the actors may have been good, but I guess his uh, overall capabilities in terms of running a shoot, uh, maybe not great if you forget to get close-ups. Or just it didn't get sub- enough close-ups or, or perhaps when they were editing it together. But, I mean, that's pretty major. It's, it's odd, though, because the first story he directed, Doctor Who and the Silurians, I think there was an actual problem with the film. I can't remember the story behind it. But during the uh, the plague sequence in the railway station, mm-hmm. uh, and they had to do go back again and shoot certain scenes for oh, that no. too, and also featured uh, members of the production staff as <laughs> like I think Terrence Dix is in there in, in some of the shots, uh, for instance, mm-hmm. as well. So yeah, that seems to be a recurring theme for Tim Coombe directed stories. Wow, yeah. <laughs> poor guy, <Yeah. laughs> that sucks. That's too bad. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, oh, some interesting things. I was I was waiting to get to this bit. I remember when we talked about the doctor and how he had you know uh, fear of fire and stuff like that, mm-hmm. um, and war machines and Daleks and was there an ice warrior yeah, in there? Yeah. This time we see ice warriors and uh, apparently um, the Zarbi. Uh, yep. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Interesting. Because that's what stills the uh, uh, BBC had on. A hand at the time, so they're just swooping stills. Also, I find it fascinating that Daleks don't sound anything like the actual Daleks because at this point, everyone knows what Daleks sound like, right? They go, they sound like this because it was like four years, which is an eternity in in TV production. Um, But what's most interesting is that we see what the master fears Mm -hmm. and it's the doctor laughing at him a large super like human doctor laughing at him what a visit into the psyche of the master yeah i think it's fascinating this is you know this is only his second story Mm -hmm. and yeah we really really learned something about him as a as a person and as a character and you know coming back to it from the other side you know having seen the master again and again like it makes a lot of things make sense um so kudos to the people writing the master all the way through in history for you know sticking to this you know <laughs> giving him slash her a personality that uh that sort of meshes with this deep seated fear of being laughed at by the doctor like you get the impression in many stories later that the the master is just trying to impress the doctor trying to get the doctor's uh, attention and approval and yep that's uh that looks like it's even here like as you pointed out as we were watching this when the master gets the doctor to to help him with uh the the keller machine you know he's the master's basically acting as a companion (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> like he's the assistant, the doctor. That was another like very sort of subtle moment. You know, the doctor being like, "Oh, you know, uh, pick up that plug there." Yes, and and the coil, and just yep. very matter of factly. And the master just like falls right in line, like a like a puppy, like just wanting to wanting to please his, his master. Yeah. Irony, um, and and then his, you know, oh, this is really ingenious. Mm. <laughs> like, what does it do? Yeah, the doctor is clearly clearly the uh, the superior sort of mind the alpha if you will yeah i guess i will yeah maybe the minds of the master i mean now it it leads me to believe like wonder 
is this the master's like impression like the doctor sort of always been laughing at him or was the doctor actually a bully earlier in their lives <laughs> and he actually was laughing at him and he's the one that sort of created the master thing and I'm going to show him I'm going to become evil throughout and thwart him throughout existence. I'm going to say probably not that because it is not a younger version of the doctor. It is this version of the doctor wearing his clothes from this very story, which uh, I mean, you know, in the real world, the, you know, the, the doyalist version reason for that is because he's, (laughs) that's, we're making a television show. We're making it right now. We don't have footage of a previous doctor's pointing and laughing. John is probably in the other side of the studio wearing his costume that he just shot a scene for and laughing at him. That's yep. And they're superposing it in. That's pretty much how it would be. Yep. But sort of like from a Watsonian perspective, yeah. the idea I think is, you know, the, the master's greatest fear is the doctor laughing at him and he's just seen the doctor. Mm-hmm. So, you know, picturing that person laughing at him makes perfect sense as a uh, as a fear speaking of that i was a little bit uh, a little bit disappointed that uh when we have the cliffhanger to episode four when we get the machine trying to get both the doctor and joe like i was really interested to see okay what's joe's greatest fear are we going to see that but uh as you pointed out on our previous podcast episode mm-hmm. the machine which turns out is not actually a machine is um is adapting and changing mm-hmm. and at this point, it is not necessarily going straight for the greatest fear. Maybe it's just diving right into to hurting people and apparently can teleport itself. Like I had f- completely forgotten that that was a thing that happened. So when it like disappeared, I was like, oh, my God, <laughs> it was very exciting. Yeah, you legitimately were, oh, my God, it's gone. What the hell? Yeah. yeah. And I like the, the that whatever that swirly sort of swoopy wavy uh, effect I, I, that just always makes me happy. We used to use that on one of the cable access TV shows uh, every once in a while. So I like it. Yeah. Well, this is early TV pretty much here. And those are pretty about as much visual effects as you can get. They probably had like one of the same like <laughs> switcher that oh, we yeah. had. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Probably just <laughs> exchange the oscillator or something like that. And look what we can do. We can make the picture go all wavy. Cool, eh? Wow. It It is cool. Mm-hmm. Very. It's cool. I said, what the hell, uh, rather cavalierly and casually as I do here in the year 2019. But to hear Mailer say it on no less than three occasions, I think, in these two episodes, you know, what the hell are we doing that for? What the hell? You know, mm-hmm. it seems rather shocking in Doctor Who land here. Someone dropped the H-bomb. Yeah, it's almost like he stepped in from another television show. I know. Like he feels like such a fully formed character that I just I just feel like he popped in here from from somewhere else. And yeah, the way that he speaks is very it, it, yeah. Also, uh, we see blood, which is not a thing that you see very often in Doctor Who because no. um, uh, because yeah, Mike Yates gets gets shot, and uh, so there's there's blood sort of dripping down his hands when we get the close up on them as he's trying to break his bonds. So I was just I was a little surprised by that. I certainly didn't notice it in the black and white version. Yeah, he had a bit of blood on his hand when he got shot in the ambush there, mm-hmm. and that's some good continuity because that is some five weeks previous when they shot the film bits, and now they're into uh, shooting the studio bits. So good job, continuity department on all that. Yeah, but like. This is this this is quite the standout story between how distressing some of the the scenes are that we've talked about mm-hmm. before. Uh, Mailer saying "What the hell?" multiple times, yeah. getting blood on screen. It's the uh, yeah, wow. 
I know, you know, in, in retrospect, a lot of people sort of look back at season seven and think, wow, that is proper, like, dramatic, made-for-adults Doctor mm-hmm. Who, and, like, season eight sort of becomes very safe and, you know, homey and family-like, but I think it's working its way there yet still if it gets there because this is a, you know, maybe the music because it's all, like, synthesizer and, and like, for the first time it's done in post-production, um, it sort of maybe doesn't have quite the dramatic appeal as some of Dudley Simpson's other bits of music, but I think the actual tone of the episodes and, and the drama, I think is actually still pretty grim as like season seven. And the fact that, you know, it's centered around a peace conference of the world and there's the nuclear slash nerve gas Mm -hmm. missile that's illegal and not supposed to exist. And unit is sneakily trying to, to get it out. And, you know, I feel like the, the themes are all pretty adult. I mean, I can, you know, Terror, Terror of the Autons is pretty wacky and yeah. very silly in some ways. So I think that, you know, this maybe maybe one of the reasons this kind of gets lumped in with some of the, the lighter aspects of season eight is because it's sandwiched in maybe between other things. I don't I don't even know what comes next. But but, you know, you, you start off the season with this story, which is pretty ridiculous in in several moments like disturbingly so yes mm-hmm. but Terra the autons is is flat out ridiculous in some ways um so so maybe it's it doesn't feel like we are slowly easing into the the soft softer sort of sillier stuff because mm-hmm. we had one before this that's true i suppose uh one thing that is ha- is sort of settling in now is the way that the series is being recorded which uh Barry Letts had sort of started to do um in Inferno but now that he had the the chance to start a season fresh as opposed to coming in halfway through as he did for season 7 he implemented a new system where you know Doctor Who even in season 7 was made one episode a week basically you know um he, he shot you know he rehearsed for a week uh, then on the Friday, you shot all the episodes, all the scene, all the scenery was put away and stuff. For the, and then they brought them out again on like late the next week, and they did the same thing again, like rehearsal Monday through Thursday, shoot on Friday, lather, rinse, repeat. But Barry Letts thought, well, hey, let's actually shoot two episodes in two days. So basically, we'll do we'll take two weeks to make two episodes, but they'll rehearse for like ten days. And then shoot uh, an episode basically on the Thursday and then another one on the Friday or whatever day it was. The reason I mention that is because that actually changes the way that the episodes are structured. Because when now when they're thinking, you know, they don't have to take sets down overnight. They're just going to leave them up on Thursday night because they're going to be back on Friday shooting them again. So basically, they structure, um, especially two-parter, uh, six-parters, I, I noticed rather, where a lot of... Uh, sets in are the same for episodes one and two and then for three and four it's a new recording block sort of and they'll change again so you notice that the the sets in like where the you know the uh, Chinese delegation room all those sets are gone and now in episode three it's replaced by like unit HQ like the little mobile HQ and stuff so because that takes up studio space on the floor so you basically have to structure it around that so that actually changes the way that Doctor Who is scripted and made just by the way that they actually make it so this is a case where like production actually um, inspires 
the actual creation of the show. So this is something I'm going to be watching more as we watch it a little more episodically as as opposed to previous years when I watched Pertwee stories where I just watch them in, in one fell swoop. You can sort of notice the changes, maybe even the changes in hair because when you watch like between episodes two and three and and uh, and I suppose four and five, um, the hair length might be different perhaps because two weeks have passed since um, the, the those episodes have, episodes have actually been shot. Interesting. Yeah. I mean, I'm looking at the uh, the chapter or the <laughs> episode screen, and I notice episodes one and two have uh-huh. very similar, like pink and orange background. Episodes three and four have like basically the same blue swirly background, and episodes five and six have like a kind of a grayish blue and light purpley sort of lavender. So it's it's like these ones were made together, those ones were made together, and these ones were made together. I don't know if that is on purpose or what, but just I I wouldn't have I wouldn't have actually noticed that probably unless you, except that you had just pointed out the way the show is made. I wonder if they, when they made the DVD menu, they, they put that in mind. I mean, the deep, you know, the title sequence goes a bit crazy in those last few seconds of the title sequence and it changes a lot. Mm-hmm. So they, underneath the episode um, title. So I don't know if that's coincidence or, or not, but you raise an interesting point. Mm-hmm. Yep. Uh, I I laughed a little bit at uh, Joe beating the doctor at checkers, and oh. I wonder, like, did he let her win? Is he distracted? I mean, he does sort of petulantly complain that it's too simple of a game, which makes me think that maybe she actually did beat him. Mm-hmm. I don't know. He prefers 3D chess. Yes, apparently. Yeah, yeah just like Spock. Mm-hmm. And the master says, all right, I've allowed you your little moment. Mm-hmm. <laughs> he sits there and wa- watches it happen. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah, that was another. That was another like you know sort of quiet moment that I really appreciated. Just like the subtlety of yeah, 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 quite nice. Already we're sort of getting that weird little rapport between the Doctor and Master and and Joe. It's kind of it's kind of neat in a way, even though you know one of them is a mass murderer. Yeah, still just always going to be uncomfortable with that. I'm sorry, but he's so charming. Yeah. There are some really awful people in the world, yeah. in the real world, that are really charming and are really awful. Mm-hmm. I'm well, thinking of some close to home, and yeah. it's making me unhappy. But Roger Delgado, though, is not <laughs> among them. He was. Uh, how, how are you enjoying Roger Delgado's performance? Now that you've seen more more episodes of of him. Oh, I mean, he's he is great. He is he is he is just delightful. Um, you know, for <laughs> looking at it from just the the joy of of watching it. Yeah, that's that's it's very fun because his his rapport with John Pertwee, like they just, they play off of each other so very, very well. Like they just, it just, it just works. It, you know, it, it makes it slightly less icky. <laughs> that he's such a terrible, terrible person. Mm-hmm. It's, it's, it's interesting, you know, sadly we lose Roger Delgado far too young, um, but he was only ever intended to be the master opposite John Pertwee's doctor. And he sort of creates this like, this sort of motif of a certain master is best opposite certain doctors, you know, and I begin, you know, apart from Anthony Ainley, who was like throughout the eighties, but you know, I can't think of, uh, Michelle Gomez against any other doctor, but Peter Capaldi. Like I can't really think of, well, I suppose John Sim came back, but even then he seems almost kind of out of place and he's only sort of second fiddle to, to Missy, uh, in those. And I just can't think of Delgado against any other doctor, but, John Pertwee's doctor, perhaps for this reason, I don't know. Yeah, I I know people say that a lot, yeah. and I I that is a I don't really subscribe to that. Oh, I feel okay. like I feel like yep, it's because the show 
went the way it went, yes, you do have, you know, this this actor paired with that actor playing the doctor and the master and that, you know, those actors. And that's, yeah, that's how it went. But I don't think, had things gone a different way, I don't think that we would have necessarily needed to be limited. I think it would have been fascinating to see Roger Delgado play against Tom Baker or a different, you know, even mm-hmm. Peter Davison. I think, I think he's a wonderful actor and could have modulated his performance. And it would have been really interesting to see, you know, here's a completely different personality from this person who you have this great rapport with now your rapport is going to have to be different or it's not going to be a rapport at all or you know i think i think that would have been perfectly fine and yeah anthony ainley doesn't really change his performance (laughs) depending on which doctor is there but i i feel in my heart that roger delgado would have Uh and that you know it would have been something that was really amazing to watch and it is definitely sad that we didn't we didn't get that from for such tragic reasons. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, anything else about these two episodes that you want to mention at all before we move on and watch the last one? Probably tonight. It is Christmas after all. Uh, I just, I really appreciate that the doctor always... Uh, when he's, you know, going to go do science, he puts on the right outfit for doing uh-huh. science. He's he's always going to have a lab coat yeah. or overalls or, you know, like he, I mean, he's he's definitely very, very well dressed. So it makes sense that he would want to cover up. I mean, this isn't even a case where he's got like a bunch of te- test tubes and beakers or anything like that. It it seems to all be electronics and, and tubes and wires and stuff. But even so, he's going to protect his uh his his clothing with the appropriate uh you know yeah ppe yeah ppe isn't that uh protective equipment something i can't remember personal protective equipment yes yes thank you yep yeah i i think we've seen the aftermath of all his work though like he's seen like he demands like hey we need i need lots of tools lots of equipment Mm -hmm. supplies and stuff well stang ward's progressive prison the entirety of the research (laughs) is yours and so we see at the end of it obviously he's made this magic box with things and and a you know coil of yep. wires and stuff so that he i assume that he would just came straight from the lab wearing the coat and didn't just wear the coat during the process of putting it on the mind of evil but and it's not just the coat he's also got like the big gloves yeah. and the the helmet yeah. that comes down which Little he shield yeah yep which he takes off and tosses behind him with a flourish when he doesn't need it anymore i love the way he does that because he's just so like exasperated like oh god and there are times when i have thrown off uh gloves or you know some things that i know won't break that i could throw across the room purely <laughs> as inspired by that scene in the mind of evil this does not surprise me one jot so many things so many things in my life little touches here and there from the way that i throw something across the room like john Pertwee, or the way i walk around corners like tom baker used to do <laughs> are all inspired by Doctor Who. Is that why you walk that way around corners? I, I sometimes do. I sort of like, what is the way I walk around corners? Oh, maybe I'm, well, I mean, sometimes like when the elevator opens, you kind of like peek around the corner weirdly. And... No, that's just me being silly. Oh, okay. Then I must be thinking, all right, well. Sometimes I'll sort of lean forward a little bit so just so I could hear and or see like maybe a shadow come, so I don't run into someone. But it's, I, it's almost like, full on and then I'll put my hand out like this like Tom Baker used to do especially towards the latter part of his this is great podcasting put my hand out like this just like this yeah just to for everyone at uh, who's listening on the podcast I just did this <laughs> uh, 
just like Tom Baker used to do. And um, and I was running to catch the bus the other day, and I was humming the music as I always do when I'm running to catch the bus from the uh, episode four of Castro Velva when they're running to escape Castro Velva. This is my life. This is what you married. That's true. Yeah, and when whenever we're uh, wandering around cities, it's the uh, city of death music. <laughs> he sings it out loud sometimes. Always running through Paris. Yeah, even except in London. Oddly enough, I did not have it in London because it was yeah. not it was not right. Mm-mm. No, but you do in other cities. If we go to Paris, oh my god, oh god, if we're taping. I'm gonna put it on the iPod and the iPod, <laughs> and uh, well, it's, it's not on the soundtrack, so and just play it as we run around. Mm-hmm. Yep, I, I'm. I'm sure. Just like the unit music, which has has a repro- I don't know if you recognize it. Dudley Simpson does a uh, cheap synthesizer version of his unit theme uh, from Ambassadors of Death, where it was awesome. And then just after they take Stangmore Prison, mm-hmm. it's a reprisal of the the unit theme that he created. A rare instance of a musical motif um, existing across multiple episodes of Doctor Who. I think if you pointed it out to me, I would recognize it because I know I've heard it and you have mentioned that, you mm-hmm. know, before that's the unit theme and I think I, I think I liked it, yeah. but I can't call it to mind. Oh, speaking of unit, I like the fact that there was a tunnel leading into this, uh, right. to this cause you know, if it's an old fortress, that's just, that's just a nice touch. I, I, I can't remember if it's the act, if that tunnel actually exists in the castle. I think there's a DVD extra that probably tells us. That's Dover Castle, by the way. Uh, it's a castle that I actually singled out as potentially wanting to go to when we went to England, but I think there was just too out of the way to go there. Because A, it's, it's like a big castle, but B, they shot Doctor Who there. So obviously I'm going to go there for one, Doctor Who, and two, because medieval castle. But yeah, it's there. You can, you can maybe maybe when we're done the episode, we'll watch the uh, the now and then feature on the disc and see what it looks like now. Maybe that underground passage is part of it. Well, maybe if we make it to England in uh, early 2020, mm-hmm. mid 2020, mid 2020, uh, maybe we can go this time and see Dover Castle. That would be fab. And we can recreate the assault on Dover Castle and then go back and recreate it again when we forgot to shoot some <laughs> close-ups. And we really will be interminable. Yeah, exactly. But maybe we'll invite Tim Coombe if he's still with us and because I think he's very old. Uh, and, and he can um, reprise his role as a gunman getting shot. Oh, what a fun trip we're going to have. Oh boy, what have I wrought? Mm-hmm. I don't know. Anything else? Is that it for this? Uh, I think we're good. Okay. Goodbye. Goodbye.